Jonah chapter 4. All right, we're going to finish the book here tonight. And we're going to be looking at what happens after the greatest uh, revival on earth. So we're going to be looking at tonight. We left off last week, however, with uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. And so if you got your Bibles open, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Man, praise the Lord. All right, let me uh, just pray for us, guys. Father, thank you for tonight. And thank you for your word. Uh, again, we just look to your word for guidance, Lord. We look to your word to enrich us, to keep us healthy, to keep us on the straight and narrow path, Lord. We look to it just for direction. And that's why we come here tonight, Lord, just to seek you, to seek your face. Um, that's why we've gathered here tonight. I was just uh, reminiscing on the baby dedications this past Sunday. They were just so sweet, Lord, to dedicate those children um, to you, Father, and we want to remain dedicated to you, so that's why uh, we've gathered, but we know that you're way more dedicated to us than we are to you, Lord, so just thank you for your grace, Father. Thank you so much, Lord, and I pray tonight as we get into your word that you would speak to us, Lord. If there's a word you want us to hear, uh, uh, maybe a comfort, just something for a hurting heart or a troubled heart, Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly to that person tonight whoever he or she is, Lord, online or, or here in person. And uh, your your word can be totally a comfort to us, Lord. So again, we look to you. But again, Father, I just ask for your spirit just to be poured out upon us now as we get into your word to help us understand. Uh, sometimes we just, it doesn't get through to us, Lord. But your spirit will speak to us clearly, and we believe that, Father. So I ask again in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So God spared the Ninevites. That was nice of him. You guys remember that? That was awesome. He relented from the disaster he had said he would bring upon them, and he didn't do it. Praise the Lord. Man, just by way of a quick review, uh, I know we remember what happened, but leading up to this point, the word of the Lord, this is chapter one, it had originally came to Jonah, but he was disobedient. He fled all the way over to Tarshish. So he went, what is that, west? He was supposed to be going east, but he went west. Not good. In chapter one, we had talked about how we can't escape God's presence. Is that a comforting thought to you or a scary thought? <laughs> That's just a good measure to see how you're doing. But this is a, one of the verses that we looked at. It's Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell or Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Man, that's a great verse to remind you about God's presence. No matter where you go, what you do, God's there. All right, so after that, well, Jonah ran. He's trying to run at least. He's doing his best to escape. He encountered a storm that was sent from the Lord. You guys remember the supernatural storm? It was caused by a wind. Uh, it goes real bad, big waves, big wind. He's underneath the cabin. The captain wakes him up and says, dude, what are you doing? We're all up here praying. We're going to die. Why don't you come on up and join us? But Jonah confesses. He says, oh man, the storm is, it's my fault, you guys. It's me. I'm the problem here. The problem isn't the fish. The problem isn't the storm. I'm the problem. 
And I always thought, man, that is a good self-examination. Doesn't that feel good when it's your fault? <laughs> it's like the best feeling, right? Jonah confesses it's his fault, and he convinces the sailors to throw him in. Remember, they don't want to. They're like, well, your God's pretty mad. If we throw you in, is he going to get more mad? Is he going to be even more ticked at us if we do that? So remember, they tried to row hard to land. All that rowing work didn't pay off. Didn't work. So Jonah walks the plank. They throw him in. And I imagine always that Jonah, he's about to take his last breath. He's in the water. He's trying to tread water, but the wind, the waves, it's all crazy. Um, he thinks he's about to take his last breath, but he doesn't. Instead, he's swallowed by a fish. Wow. The we talked about it last week. It's the classic reverse sushi situation. The fish ate the man this time. The man didn't eat the fish. <laughs> so he's in the belly now. And he cries out to the Lord. That's what we read. It's uh, Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. After three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. It's Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. So Jonah comes back to the Lord. He has this moment where he just decides to give it up. He goes, Lord, okay. All right. I'll do it your way. The Lord hears his prayer. And we read that the fish vomited him onto dry land. Not many people can say that. Maybe one or two. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Man, that's good news. God gave him another chance. But this time around, Jonah's ready to listen, right? He's done slamming his head against the brick wall. He's going, okay, God, all right, let's do it your way. I'm done doing it my way. I'm done running. Let's do it your way. So Jonah gets a second chance. We talked about that last week. God, he's the God of second chances, right? Amen. Just like the VeggieTales song. You guys heard that one? It's a good song. Give it a listen. I want, you were hoping I would do it. I'm not going to do it, okay? <laughs> but God gave second chances to a lot of people, right? Man, praise the Lord that he does. He gave a second chance to Moses. Moses had a real bad anger problem. He murdered that Egyptian out of anger in his youth. He was a murderer. But man, God used him mightily. He used him to lead his people out of Egypt. Wow, why would God use him? Crazy. Not only, you know, I say use him, we say that a lot, but God used him. Not only did he use him, I mean, he loved him. That, that's what I think too, man. He loved him. Or David committed adultery. The king of Israel, he's supposed to be representing the Lord. He committed adultery. Not good. Not only that, he was a murderer as well. But it was said of David that he was a man after God's own heart. Whoa, how does that work? Hmm. He's the God of second chances. You can be redeemed. There's redemption. Praise the Lord, man. What about Peter? Call him the denying disciple, right? He denied the Lord. He was scared. He was in the courtyard. And he was, you know, give him a little bit of credit. He was the only disciple that followed, but he denied the Lord. But later on in Peter's story, he's restored, man. Jesus, they have breakfast on the beach. Remember that? They do fish tacos. It's great. It's the best way to make amends with somebody. Fish tacos. Just make sure food's there. That's it. He redeems him. And so he gave the Ninevites a second chance, gave Jonah a second chance. Man, praise the Lord that he does. I love God. I love that he does that. But that means you and me, we qualify for second chances, don't we? Right? We qualify for a second chance. Not only that, you know, last week we talked about it's 70 times 7. That's how many times the Lord will forgive you. Way more than you think. I don't think you could outdo his forgiveness as long as you come back. 
All right, well, Jonah, then he makes his way to Nineveh. He preaches through the streets of Nineveh, saying, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He's saying, 40 days, this place is toast. It'll be no more. He was preaching, teaching in the streets. The people heard him. Praise the Lord, they repented, and we witnessed the greatest revival in uh, history. And it had started because they did what God said to do. They realized that the message, it wasn't from Jonah. This message isn't coming from Jonah. It's coming from God. It's coming from who he represents, right? Jonah's just an ambassador. So they repent. But the Greek word for repent, uh, it's interesting. We'll throw it up here on the screen. It's, uh, maybe we'll throw it up on the screen. You guys got that one? Metanoeo. M-E-T-A-N-O-E-O. It literally means to be remorseful, to regret, to change your mind. Metanoeo, to to repent. And that's what the people of Nineveh did. They changed their mind about what they were doing. They're like, man, we're going in a real bad way right now. We're wicked. You know, originally they had liked that. But they were done with their wickedness. They were done with their wicked ways. No mas. They don't want to do it anymore. And everyone did. Everyone repented from the least important to the most important. Even the king, he repented. Everybody, all of them, they said, we're done with this lifestyle. We're going in a different direction. We're following God. We're obeying him. They said, you know what we're going to do? Just so that uh, God knows that we mean business, we're going to put on sackcloth and ashes. We're going to let them know that we're for real. We're going to fast as well. And so what happened? God saw what they did. What did he do? He changed his mind. We read that he relented. In the first chapter, he thought, well, all right, their wickedness has become too great. I'm going to destroy them. But first, I want to give them a chance, at least a chance. And I love these people. I don't want them to die. I'll give them a second chance. And that's how we know, we talked about this earlier, that he's a God of compassion, man. He loves people. He's compassionate. He doesn't want anybody to die in their sins. In fact, we read that. It's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All men, in the Greek it means all men. That was a joke, guys. But he really did mean all men. Everybody. He changed his mind. All right, and that's where we come to now. He didn't destroy him. Now, listen, if it was a Disney movie, it would end at chapter three, right? It would be over with. They'd have a big old party. They'd be singing and dancing. Jonah would be down with them. They'd be like, you know, arm in arm, praising the Lord. It'd be great. It'd be like a massive barbecue or something like that. Then we would roll the credits. That's it. It would be done at chapter three. But we have chapter four, which is a pretty funky chapter, actually. It's funky, so I like to describe it. And uh, yeah, it's weird. (laughs) Chapter three would have been a happy ending, but that is not what happens because Jonah has a weird attitude, okay? Look with me at chapter four. Now we're in chapter four. I just want to read the first four verses, okay? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. The revival, all the people coming to the Lord displeased him, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord. Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, 
one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? (laughs) Man, what a reaction from Jonah. Doesn't sound very excited. You think he would be, right? After the greatest revival ever. I think he sounds pretty upset. And I think it's worth mentioning here, this is one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is true. Uh, This story, it doesn't really paint Jonah in a great light. It doesn't. It doesn't uh, make for a good, you know, I was joking about the Disney movie. It's not a Disney-worthy ending here. Just because of Jonah's bad attitude. And if the Bible was false, though, I I don't think you'd read about any of the mistakes that our Bible heroes are making. These are the guys we're supposed to look up to. But the Bible is clear about all their mistakes. It just lays them out before us. I think it's encouraging to us. But regardless, we see Jonah's true colors right here. Look at verse 1 again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. That anger, he's fuming. He cannot believe it. Why is he so upset? Why? Why is he so upset? He's mad that, you know, we estimate 600,000 people, maybe even up to a million people, have been spared. He's upset that God showed kindness and mercy to all these people, but he's upset because they were Ninevites. He can't believe it. You know, we can only speculate why Jonah was so mad, but some scholars believe that the Ninevites, maybe at one time when they were on campaign in northern Israel, maybe they harmed or even killed a family member of Jonah's. We don't know for sure. Maybe he was upset. He heard about their reputation for violence, and he had seen it with his own eyes. Uh, Remember, they were a wicked people. They skinned their enemies alive put their heads on stakes. Uh, It was actually said of the Ninevites that many times when they would attack a village, the village would surrender prior to them even getting there, and they would still, um, they wouldn't accept surrender, kill them anyways. Wicked people. So maybe he had witnessed that violence firsthand. He had seen what they could do, what they were capable of, and that's personally what I believe. I mean, his reaction is just so great, and he is so set against these people. I think he... Well, we know he hates him. I think it explains Jonah's reactions. He's so against them. I could be wrong about that. And that would be the first time I would be wrong. Just kidding. Jonah had maybe seen, yeah, what they'd done. He couldn't believe that God would extend mercy to these people. He's upset about it. I love how Greg Laurie phased, uh, phrased this. I put it up on screen. Sometimes we wonder why a good God would allow bad things to happen to good people. Jonah was wondering why a good God would allow good things to happen to bad people. Hmm, interesting, bad people. You know, we had mentioned this idea in chapter one. We're trying to get to the root of why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. He didn't want them shown any mercy, no mercy. That's what Jonah was hoping for. He's angry. But look at what he says at the beginning of verse two. Let's go down to verse two. So he prayed to the Lord, and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. I know that you're gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Notice the first line there, so he prayed to the Lord. This is the first prayer Jonah has prayed since he was in the belly of the fish. Isn't that interesting? At least the one that we have on record. This is the first prayer since then. But his prayer from the belly of the fish, man, that had a different tune. He was praising the Lord then. And I would have thought that the first prayer that Jonah prayed after this revival would have been uh, just full of wonder 
in amazement at the Lord, saying, Lord, you're the best. I love you. I can't look at all these people you saved, Lord. This is all you. I thought it would read more like a Psalm of David, you know. That's the prayer that I was expecting. But instead, what we have is Jonah really just attempting to justify why he sinned, why he was disobedient, why he disobeyed the Lord in the first place. He says, therefore, I fled to Tarshish. In other words, that's why I fled to Tarshish. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought, well, the reason why I sinned is because blank, right? We make excuses for us and we attempt to justify it. I was reminded of Adam. This is in Genesis chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. This is the Lord speaking. This is God. He said, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, speaking of Adam here, and here's the justification. He goes, the woman who even gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. <laughs> Adam says, Lord, it's not rocket science, okay? It was the woman's fault. <laughs> I always thought, doesn't that, isn't he blaming God, though, because God made the woman? Anyways, we do this today, though, right? We, we justify our sin, or at least we attempt to. We've been doing it a long time, apparently, since Adam. He's our father. The very first human on planet Earth, didn't take him but three chapters. He's already justifying his sin. I've noticed that we can be guilty of doing that. We can be guilty of trying to justify our sin. I think what we do is we categorize it into a list of, okay, these are acceptable sins, and these ones are unacceptable sins, right? It's the idea that, well, listen, we don't smoke, we don't chew, and we don't hang out with girls that do, man. Those are all bad things, right? That wouldn't be right. But maybe we partake in the lesser sins, the hidden ones, pride, anger. I don't know, those are just examples. And, well, my encouragement is maybe we be those that, uh, and we just don't want to attempt to justify our sin like Jonah did. We look at all of them as the same. They're all bad. We want to stay away. Sin is very serious. We want to stay for, away from all sins. And for the Christian, man, this is encouraging. We shouldn't attempt to justify our sin. We should confess it. That's what the Lord said. We should confess our sin. We looked at this verse. It was so cool. It's 1 John 1, 9. We looked at it on Monday night. So cool that it came up. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And don't justify your sin. Don't attempt to make amends for it. Confess it. What happens when you confess it? He'll cleanse you. and he will forgive you. And we're going to read a little bit more about God's character right now. Look at the second half of verse 2 there. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. In other words, he, he doesn't want to do any harm. Man, that's an awesome description of the Lord. It's so encouraging. Uh, you've heard it said before. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Jonah had a heart issue, major heart issue. He really did. See, I, you know, and I don't think he was scared to go to Nineveh because he was scared of the Ninevites. I think he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God would save them. He knew what would happen. He knew God would show mercy to them. That's why his reaction is this way. He says, I knew it. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. I knew you were going to forgive them. I knew you'd be gracious and merciful and you'd be patient. 
I knew that you were going to show love to them. <laughs> I knew that you were going to look for any excuse not to destroy them. I knew that's what you were going to do, and that's why he's so mad. You know, I think Jonah, he'd been walking with the Lord long enough to know. He just knew the Lord well enough. He understood his character. He really did. And if you hang out with somebody long enough, that's what happens. You pick up on their habits. You pick up on uh, their vibe, just what they're really like. You get a feel for how they truly are. But it's the same with the Lord, right? You spend enough time with him, you know how he really is. You know, I mentioned before, uh, I had the opportunity in Bible college. Man, I met some great friends. They're lifelong friends of mine. I have a lot of sweet memories there. Um, and these are guys I still remain in contact with. Some of my best friends, you know. We had an awesome friendship, and we got close really quickly. Part of the reason is because they put 12 guys to, like, one room, you know, packed us in there like sardines. It was awesome. You get to know somebody pretty quick when 12 dudes are sharing one toilet. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's disgusting. But I remember one of my best guy friends, this guy in particular, um, yeah, and he's a little, he's a little uh, bigger. He's probably 6'1", 6'2". He actually looks like Colton. Colton. You want to stand up and flex for us really quick, brother? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Though he's just like kind of an intimidating dude. He was just big and stocky. And he wore tank tops a lot, which didn't help, you know. But we were doing a lot of bicep curls at that time. So, I mean, if you're going to do the curls, you might as well wear a tank top, right? You know, make it worth it. <laughs> but he's one of the nicest guys ever. He looks intimidating. He really does. But he's really nice. And I, I really knew him. I mean, we'd been on a road trip together. Like long road trips, so you really get to know somebody, you know. But it was funny. I remember this one time, another guy came up to me. So this isn't my fr friend, but another guy came up to me, and I was making friends with this new guy. And uh, one day he pulled me aside and said, "Hey man, listen, I like you, you know, and everything like that. We're cool. Uh, but your buddy, yeah, the big one with the muscles, dude, that guy, I think he's kind of a jerk." He, uh, he's just like standoffish and rude. Don't really like that guy. Why do you hang out with him? This guy was gossiping at Bible college. Can you believe it? But my response was, I was like, oh, dude, he's not a jerk. He just looks like a jerk. He's not, though. I promise you, dude, he's really nice. He's like, really? Like, yeah, I, I trust me. I know. <laughs> we went on that long road trip together. But the point of that whole story was, man, I, I knew my buddy. I know what he's really like despite the uh, misconceptions about him. And so I, I tried to set the record straight. You know, I said, no, 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 he's really nice, man. You, you read him wrong. You really did. But I think that same thing happens with the Lord sometimes. People think God's a jerk. But as we're reading here, Jonah knew exactly what he was like. Uh, and so for people who say that God is a jerk, they say he's unjust or whatever they say about the Lord, there's a bunch of accusations that go around. I can tell they don't have a relationship with him. Because it's not true. I can tell they haven't spent time with him. Because if you knew him, man, you would know that he ain't a jerk. I mean, he'll tell you how it is. He's not going to mince words. But he's not a jerk. He's uh, actually gracious, merciful. That's what God's really like. Doesn't have a short fuse like me. He's patient. He's not like us. He's patient. He isn't looking for an excuse either to strike you down with lightning. He could. Sometimes I feel like. He really should right now. <laughs> but listen to this, ma'am. He could strike us down with lightning. He really could. He's capable of doing it. But he's always looking for a reason not to. That's what he's doing with the Ninevites here. 
The Bible actually says of this, God is for us. That's what the Bible says. That means he's on your team, okay? Romans 8.31, yeah, we have it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's our God. He's on our team. He's not against you. He wants what's best for you. Just some context for this verse here. You know, Paul is writing about justification and our glorification. He said in this same chapter, you know, that's the famous verse, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But God's for us. He's on our team. He's not the enemy. That's a misconception that people have. Because we do have an enemy, a real enemy. And the real enemy is our flesh, the world, and the devil. That's the enemy right there. They want to tear us up, man. They want to tear us apart. They want to hurt our families, tear our marriages apart. God doesn't. He wants to heal. He wants to restore. That's what he's in the business of doing. Our families, our marriages, he wants to keep those things intact and like strengthen them. That's what God wants to do. Just show us his incredible love and grace, man. He's shown it to me. I can attest. I'm a witness up here saying that, man. I think there's a lot of people in the room that can say that to you. Amen? All right. This is a little bit later on in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Paul says this, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jonah knew the Lord. Man, he knew that there wasn't much that could keep God from loving on the Ninevites. Man, it's an encouragement to you and me, but it, you know, it's the reason why Jonah is throwing a fit right here. And it's not just an encouragement. You know, it, I don't want to make light of this verse that we're reading right now. This is a promise, man. This is a promise right here that I, I believe you can stake your whole life on that promise right there. That's God's love. Moving heaven and earth for us. It's the gospel. Jesus sacrificed himself to make us right with God the Father. Because, and Paul's, listen to this, there were lots of things that stood in between us and being right with God. There were. Paul mentioned a few of them in this verse right here. Principalities, powers. There was a great chasm. There was a great distance between us and the Lord. We needed a bridge. There was height. There was depth that was separating us for sure. There was sin. And there were sins that were committed before we were even in the game. You know, they're before our time, but they got passed down to us. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. With his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, he made a way for us to be right with the Lord, man. He did it. He did it. He bridged the gap, conquered all these things. So when Paul says nothing can separate us from the love of God, he means that nothing can separate us from the love of God, man. Isn't that good news? Man, I love that. God's for us. He's on our team. He ain't the enemy. But Jonah is having trouble with that concept. He's real upset that God chose to save the Ninevites. Look at what Jonah says next. It's verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Another translation reads closer to him. Jonah, you seem really upset right now. <laughs> Jonah says, please take my life from me. He's saying, I'd rather be dead than see the Ninevites spared. I'd rather be dead than see what you're doing right now. And again, granted, you know, I don't want to judge Jonah. It's not my place to judge him. 
I don't know his situation. I, I, I believe I'm capable of doing that, of being a Jonah and having this attitude towards the people. It's really, that's, it's a strong warning to me. Is there a group out there that I'm saying, everybody can get saved, Lord, not these guys? Nope. This is where I draw the line right here. I don't know. We each have to search, man. Especially if they harmed your family. I've got little kids. Man, the thought of somebody doing them harm, that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. I don't know if Jonah went through something similar to that, and that's why. I don't know. I don't want to be the judge of him. I, I don't know. We're just looking at the lessons here. He says, please take my life from me. And then the Lord says this, is it right for you to be angry? God chose to save him. He chose to show compassion on them. Praise the Lord that he did that. And Jonah right now is suffering from a case, I call it older brother syndrome. Older brother syndrome, OBS. It's from Luke 15. You guys remember the story of the prodigal son? OBS, man. Okay, check it out. We're going to go there really quick. This is a quick review. Okay, a man has two sons. Wait, I'm sorry, guys. One second. One second. I'll put it up in a second. A man has two sons. The younger of the sons asks for his inheritance. He takes the inheritance, okay? And we read, he wasted his possessions on prodigal living. Okay, that's what he does. Then there's a famine in the land. All the money's dried up. The land is dried up. And he ends up in a pig pen, eating pig food like a pig does. Okay, so that's where he's at now. He thinks to himself, wow, this is ridiculous. The Bible, it's funny, it says he actually, he came to himself, he came to his senses. He's like, the guys that work for my dad eat better than this. This is ridiculous. I'm going to go home, I'll just be a slave. It's better than being the pig boy, okay? So now we're picking it up in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. Gets out of the pig pen. He arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Oh, man, I love this story. Man, the father couldn't be, hap he couldn't be happier. He's just glad his son is home. He's thinking to himself, man, I'm just glad you're alive. I don't care where you were. I don't care what you ate. I don't care what you did. I'm just glad you're back. Thank you for coming back. They have a feast. It's a good old time. Man, I pray that I can be like that with my son. That would be hard. He didn't even get a spanking. But look at the reaction of the older son. Okay, we'll pick it up in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. What's that? So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. One of the older brothers like, The fatted calf? <laughs> the one we are saving for Cinco de Mayo? But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat 
that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, (laughs) this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. (laughs) Man, the older brother, he cannot be happy for his younger brother. He's ticked. He says, I've been serving you. Never broke any of the rules. Where's my feast, dad? Where's my pinata, huh? What's up with that? But look at the father's response here. And look at this response is so incredible. Verse 31. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Father said, all that I have is yours. We could have we had a feast every day. You just had to ask me anything. I would have given it to you. You know, I think the Ninevites, they can be compared to the younger brother, okay? The father, when he described the younger brother, he said he was dead. Now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. That's the Ninevites. They were so far away from God, man. Uh, we talked a little bit about it, but it was a great city, but it was exotic as well. All any any sin, it was sin city, man. They did it. They were so far away from God, but they made a choice to repent and to come back into His arms, man. They they came back home. They came to the Father, but Jonah again. He has OBS, man. He has the attitude of the older brother. He had the mentality that you know what? I've been a good boy. I should get a party. And not only that, not only did he think he should get a reward, I believe, he thought that the younger brother or, you know, the Ninevites in this case, he thought that they should be punished, that they should not get a party, a fatted calf. Instead, they should get spanking, right? Older brother syndrome, that's what it is. It's when God forgives somebody, you think he has no business forgiving. So you pout about it. (laughs) And that's what Jonah does. Let's pick it up in verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see, look at this, this is very interesting, till he might see what would become of the city. I think he was waiting, hoping that they would slip up. He's saying, you know what? They might backslide though. They all repented. Let's see if it's for real, okay? They'll slip up, they'll go back, and then it'll be game on. Then it'll be the Sodom and Gomorrah treatment. God will level this place, right? But look at this. He goes to the east side of the city. He's not even you know, in the city. He's looking out over the city. But he should have been down in the city with the people. There's a bunch of brand new baby believers. There's a ton of them. There's however many people there were. They're, they just got saved, man. But instead of helping and being an encouragement to people and discipling brand new baby believers, um, he just goes and pouts, sits on the east side of the city. And again, I think he's just waiting for them to slip up just a little bit. He's waiting, okay? So you're saying there's a chance they might slip up. <laughs> uh, but Jonah's mentality here, man, that's a warning. That's a really strong warning to me. Um, he was really hoping that God would punish them still. And I think he was convinced that the repentance wasn't real. Um, but it had me thinking, what about us? You know, what if there was a revival? Really think about it. What if revival took place tomorrow? 
tonight? Where would we be? You know, would we be down? Would I be down with the baby believers helping them out? Making sure that they have what they need to continue their walk with the Lord, telling them about my experience. Would I be helping people? Would I be like, man, oh, this is so great that you've come to the Lord. Let me help you. Let me guide you. I'm compassionate about you. I care about you guys, man. I don't want you to go astray. Listen, I made some mistakes, okay? Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And do this. Make sure you guys are reading and praying every day. Here's some material for you. (laughs) Or would I be up with Jonah with my arms crossed going, hmm, you know what? I'm not even sure if they're really saved. You know? (laughs) Man, Jonah, he missed an opportunity. He really did. There were so many people there that just needed the Lord. They needed direction and guidance and mentorship. Ah, but what, what if I thought too, what if the revival came about at maybe just at a different church, at the church down the road? They have a revival. They call it Pastor Dan. They're saying, Pastor Dan, we got people coming in flooding the doors. He says, what do you say? Uh, you guys aren't our denomination. Don't call us. <laughs> I don't think you would. I think we'd hop in, right? I think we'd hop in. But I think that's just a good challenge. You know, We should be revival ready especially just to walk alongside new believers, young believers as well. It's a good, good, good thing to be revival ready. Just be ready to disciple, encourage new Christians. Jonah was not. He was not ready. And look what happens next. This is verse 6 of Jonah chapter 4. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Man, this is such a picture of God's grace because even with the worst attitude, man, honestly, it was hard to study for this because I'm so infuriated by Jonah's attitude. I can't believe it. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? You were just the focal point for the greatest revival on earth. Sorry, I don't want to judge him. I don't know. It just fires me up, man. But even with a bad attitude, God still blesses Jonah. He's so gracious. He does that to us too, right, man? We got the wrong attitude, and he still blesses us. He still does it. You know, regarding this plant, again, it says he prepared a plant. In the King James, it's actually referred to as a gourd. But it really, the idea is it's, it's more like a palm tree. Lots of leaves, very shady. Uh, offered just a lot of shade, a lot of comfort to Jonah. And we see that he's grateful for the plant. Man, I would even go as far to say that Jonah right now, during this time, I think he gets attached to this plant. Okay? He gets a little, like, wrapped up. He's really liking this plant because I think he's lonely, okay? There's no one else out there. He's like, just me and this plant, okay? I've just got my plant. I water it. It's great, okay? It's his little buddy. Probably goes down to the Tigris and gets water, waters it. I don't know, okay? But he's getting attached to the plant. But, okay, this is just a little side note. People do get attached to inanimate objects. It's really weird. I just read a story about a lady who married a building like a brick building. It was a train depot. Don't do that. That's weird. That's really weird. I think it was a dare. Somebody's like, well, if you love that building so much, why don't you marry it? You know? <laughs> and she did. What a weirdo. Okay, so then this is verse 7. We're going to keep going. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east vehement, vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself again. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. 
Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, this is verse 10, But the Lord said, You've had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock. Gosh, isn't that a weird ending? I love it, though. It's, it's just, man, this whole thing, it's a message of God's compassion. Okay, really quick, this is what happens. Okay, so God prepared the plant, and he prepared the worm. Both of them, okay? The blessing and the burden, so to speak. So the worm came, destroyed Jonah's plant. That was his special plant. Again, he was, I think, attached to it. It was comforting to him. It was his little buddy. But God, I mean, he had been gracious enough to give Jonah the plant in the first place. But then the Lord uses it as an illustration to Jonah. This is a teaching point from the Lord to Jonah, okay? In verse 11, he says, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left. Well, what does that mean? I believe that the 120,000 people that the Lord is referring to there are Ninevite children. They're little kids, okay? My, my daughter, she doesn't know her right and her lefts right now. She, this is how she counts. She goes, one, two, six, okay? She, she's not there. She doesn't know right and left. She can't count. So I think the 120,000 people, they're children, Okay? So follow this. The Lord is saying, okay, Jonah, you're mad about the plant, okay? Are you, is it right for you to be mad about the plant? You didn't do anything to make it grow. You didn't plant it. I did all the work, okay? I made it grow. Plant dies. You're upset. What about 120,000 children? Would you be upset if they died? If, if 120,000 kids just, I wiped them out, would that make you sad? No, it wouldn't. I believe that the Lord is saying to Jonah that, dude, you're more concerned with that stupid plant dying than with 120,000 kids dying. That's what your priorities are right now. Your priorities are so out of whack. Not only that, there's cattle too. Man, I think the Lord's heart is just broken. He doesn't want to destroy 120,000 kids, okay? Despite the wickedness of the city, he doesn't want to do that. That's why he sends love in the form of Jonah, okay? The message of compassion. I believe the Lord made, he, he made these kids, man. He made the kids. He, I'm sure he remembers forming them, making them. Oh, man, this one, I'm going to make him like this. He's unique. This one, I'm going to make different. She's special, man. This one is different. He was maybe remembering just knitting them together, right? Man, the Lord made them. But he wanted to give their parents a chance to repent. Isn't it funny that the verse ends, or the chapter ends, and much livestock? Why mention the livestock? God cares about cows, you guys. That's why. God cares about cows and chickens and goats. He does. <laughs> God even, I think he cares about dogs. Do all dogs go to heaven? Okay, yeah. For sure the hypoallergenic. No, the last verse, ma'am, this is just a display of God's compassion. But the first verse of Jonah chapter 1 was as well. It really was. 
Because God gave Jonah a mission, remember? The mission was to deliver the message, the message of compassion. The message was, hey, man, I'm giving you guys a second chance. I'm giving you guys 40 days to turn away, okay? God says, should I not pity Nineveh? They've got 120,000 kids in there, at least. They've got all these, all these cattle. God cares about kids. He even cares about cows. Isn't that weird? Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> uh, kids, cows. He cares about you. He loves you so much. He cares about you. He really does. He cares about me. Praise the Lord, man. Thank you, God. You know, it's by He cares about the king of Nineveh, and he cares about the cows. From the king to the cows, man. God loved them all. Isn't that crazy? Uh, all right, you guys. Well, that's the end of the chapter. Uh, hope you learned something. I can't tell you guys. I've just been so blessed studying this book. It's been a pleasure. Been so much fun. Hope you're encouraged. Just know that he's a God of compassion. He loves you, loves me. Um, doesn't want anybody to perish without him. Desires that all men be saved. The God of love, right? All right, well, let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word for this book. And what a unique book that we just read, Lord. And I pray for just what we learned uh, tonight, Father, if there's something that you're pressing upon our heart. I just ask that uh, we would be willing to take action, Lord. It's so hard just to take that first step. And so where we are weak, Lord, I pray that you would just guide us and help us, Father. Um, I prayed that prayer before to you where I just said, Lord, I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing, Lord. You do it. I can't do it, Father. <laughs> Lord, so if, the, if that's happening right now, Lord, I pray that uh, you would just help, Lord. You're our help in time of trouble. We just look to you, Father. And again, we ask that your spirit would guide us and direct us. Thank you again for your word, and we praise your name tonight, Lord. Amen.